Do you like the show and want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. programs and welcome back to the thanksgiving edition of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and my name is derek almost turkey day derek do you have any big plans for what we call thanksgiving in these these here states united nothing too out of the ordinary i mean i I know a lot of people you know that i work with and friends that they didn't grow up here so they have to go out of town to visit family and things like that but Pretty much everybody lives around here. I mean, I've got a at most an hour drive um, on Thursday. I'm just spending the day with my parents and then going to my grandma's house on Saturday, um, having lunch with her and aunts and uncles. So I'm doing the big Thanksgiving thing actually on Saturday. So that's cool. Yeah, actual the actual turkey day will be pretty low key. Uh, not for me. <laughs> turkey day is. Uh, we got a Friendsgiving brunch at a, a close friend's house at 10 in the morning. And then after that, we're going to uh, my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving. And then my boss invited me to her play, her house for Thanksgiving. And then I, I do want to try to somehow fit uh, the new, um, what's the name of the movie? The Fantastic Beasts. I want to try to fit that in somewhere in there. So uh, Thanksgiving Day is going to be a little, a little bit stuffed, if you don't mind the pun. <laughs> no pun intended. But no, that that's a lot. That's a lot of people have their Thanksgivings like that, going to, you know, several different places and and whatnot. So I, I'm I'm just going to enjoy a nice low key Thursday. I might go see the Grinch on Friday. I want to see The Grinch, too, but I haven't heard too many good things about it. I mean, I want to see it because it was directed by Scott Mosier, mm-hmm. and um, I, I really wanted to kind of support his uh, effort, but um, but I haven't heard very many good things about it. Well, and you know, The Grinch is also one of my life influences, so yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to go for the support. <laughs> no, and then, you know, Saturday it'll just be with family, and Sunday just kind of doing... Not much of anything. I am looking forward to a relaxing, well, I wouldn't say all four days are going to be relaxing, but at least a couple of relaxing days for the Thanksgiving holiday. Hopefully I can fit some gaming in because uh, we talked about doing Metroid for Metroid month beginning in 2019 in January. And as we were talking about that, met the original Metroid dropped on uh, the Nintendo Switch. Um, I so saw that. Yeah, I started playing that the other night, which I think's awesome. Um, I could have played it on the regular Nintendo, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna play it on the Switch so that I can have some save points and I can spend the next uh, what? What do I have? Like a month and a couple of weeks before I have to review it. So that'll give me a good five to six week window to actually finish the game and uh, give a full review of the original Metroid. But man, I tell you what, I really forgot how awesome that game actually is 
Yeah, the whole Metroid series, at least all the games that I've, I've played have been great. You know, I'm, I haven't played Metroid 2 since I was a kid, so I'm looking forward to, to going back and revisiting that one. And then I think after you do Super Metroid, I'm doing Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance because it was released around the same time as Metroid Prime Yeah, because the games are actually kind of linked together in a way. So I'll um, when I review Metroid Fusion, I'll talk about that. But it's it's a really fun, you know, classic Metroid platformer in the same vein as the original game. So yeah. it, it'll I think it's going to be fun going back and revisiting those because I haven't played Super Metroid, you know, in like a year plus. I did play it for a bit. Um, I'd say probably about six, seven months ago, I started playing it again. And I uh, didn't get very far into it because I had some other things I needed to review, and um, I, I can't wait to jump back into that. But yeah, playing the original Metroid, I, I don't know if you consider it cheating or not, but I've been using a walkthrough. So, because look, that game is huge, and you can get lost very easily, and it's not an easy game to play without like a map. And I don't have that issue of the Nintendo Fun Club or the Nintendo Power issue that came out in. But, you know, I can't play that game without a, without a walkthrough. I don't consider that cheating. Well, good. That, that game is impossible to play without a map, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That game is just... I can't believe how huge that game is to be on the Nintendo. It's crazy. Yeah. But, um, but I'm ready to move into the news for this week. How about you? Let's do it. From NintendoLife.com, N64 Classic Mini is, quote, not in our planning horizon, but would never rule it out. Uh, with the NES Classic hitting stores in 2016, the SNES in 2017, it likely comes as no surprise that fans were expecting a potential N64 Classic to arrive at some point this year. A couple of months ago, uh, an N64 controller trademark had been approved, Um so what's happening here? Speaking to Kotaku in New York release recently, uh, Nintendo of America president Reggie Phil's... F- how do you pronounce his last name? Phil Zame? Phil's IMA? I think it's Falami. Falami. I'm not entirely <coughs> sure. Reggie Salami has responded... Wally will let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> responded to questions about a potential release. Interestingly, interestingly, he begins his response by talking about how the previous classic systems were seen as ways to bridge the gap between... Wii U, and Switch, before reminding everyone of Nintendo Switch's online retro capabilities. He said, We were clear when we did the first two classic series that for us, these were limited time opportunities that were a way for us as a business to bridge from the conclusion of Wii U as a hardware system to the launch of Nintendo Switch. That was the very strategic reason we launched the NES Classic. So while consumers may have been anticipating something, we view these as limited time opportunities We've also now been very clear that as the consumer looks forward to engaging with our classic content, that is going to happen more and more with the subscription service. I would never rule something out, but what I can tell you is certainly that it's not in our planning horizon. I think that's just, I think they are working on it myself, but I don't think it's going to be released until probably late next year or early 2020 at at the earliest I agree 100%. I mean I I always thought that it would happen eventually and Reggie does make a good point that 
it was a good way to bridge the gap between the Wii U, which disappointed so many different people, yeah. and the Switch. I think within the next, the next year or two, the N64 Classic will happen. But I do still have the same concerns that we've talked about before, you know, with the... What games are going to be on it? The controller, what games are they going to select? Because a lot of their good games are third party. Yep. Or made by Rare, who doesn't work with Nintendo anymore. Yeah, I don't know so how who, they're going to get knows? around that at all. I, I don't know how they're going to do that. I mean, the, the games off the top of my head I could think of are obviously Mario 64, Mario Kart 64... Um, Ocarina of Time. I don't think they would put Majora's Mask on there just because Ocarina of Time is a pretty decent sized game. I would love if they put Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. But again, well, that's what I was thinking too. There's some pretty big Lucasfilm games that were on the N64. You had, of course, you had Shadows of the Empire, which was huge at the time. Uh, you've got uh, Rebel Assault or Rogue Squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You had uh, the pod racing game um, that was actually a pack-in game for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, quite a bit of Lucasfilm Star Wars games for the N64 that were actually pretty good. And not to mention the rare games. I mean, yeah. GoldenEye, exactly. Banjo-Kazooie. And if you're going to do Kong an racing. N64, you've got to put GoldenEye on it. I mean, that's just... Yeah. And if you're going to do that, then you have to have at least two controllers or a way to put in four different controllers for it. And if they have a way to where you can plug in your original N64 controllers or some sort of adapter where you could put in at least four controllers, I mean, that's you have to have GoldenEye on that machine. That's just, there's no getting around that. That is a seminal N64 title. If they were only to put five games on it, GoldenEye has to be one. Exactly. So yeah. they gotta, they gotta cut a deal with Rare. And but I, I expect it to happen at some point. I can't really think of any other really big first party N sixty four games. I mean, they could put Resident Evil on there or Resident mm-hmm. Evil two, um, which is where I originally played the game was on N sixty four. But I don't know. I mean, did they put out any like Street Fighters for the N sixty four? Not that I recall. Hmm. I mean, looking at the list of games that I oh, have, Turok. you know, that I've reviewed for the N64 and the, upcoming ones. They could put the Turok games on there. I remember the Turok yeah. games were pretty big. Mm-hmm. Super Smash Brothers is another of one course, yeah. they would put on there. Yeah. Um, maybe Pokemon Stadium. Mm, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Yoshi's Story, I could see that being on there. Yeah. Donkey Kong 64, that's a rare game. Conker's Bad Fur Day is a rare game, so is Perfect Dark, so... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if they don't release it until, let's say, 2020, that's plenty of time for them to work out a deal with Rare. I just think that they, they're going to have to do that. That might Because be those games are too is. important. Yeah, like uh, that might actually be what the holdup is. They might be negotiating with rare because <clears throat> I mean, just looking at the list, like rare was made some of the best games for the N64. So <laughs> it's going to be a tough hill to climb to put games on a system. When most of the games that were remembered were from a company that you no longer do business with. Yeah. 
And hey, we'll definitely keep track of the story. You know, yeah. I, I knew this was something we hadn't talked about in a while and wanted to throw that on there. Yeah. Um, but our other bit of news, this comes to us from ScreenRant.com. And I meant to mention this last week, but I didn't think about it until right after we finished recording. The longstanding Pokemon film that's been talked about for a while finally released a trailer. Detective Pikachu uh, stars Ryan Reynolds as the talking electric mouse in the first live action Pokemon movie. Starring alongside Justice Smith, Rob Letterman's film will see Pikachu investigate the mysterious disappearance of Pokemon from Rhyme City. Although this is a Pokemon movie, the story is based on a Nintendo DS game, not the classics that most fans are familiar with. However, Detective Pikachu could lead to more movies down the line. Now, I know you're not a big Pokemon fan, <laughs> but I will say this. I was very, very skeptical when this trailer came out, but after seeing it, I am 100% invested in this movie. Like, have you seen the trailer? No, I have not. I have no okay. interest whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so, no, no worries. So, um, I think the Pokemon look great. They actually look realistic. You know, the the thumbnail in the article, Pikachu actually has yeah. fur. The CG and everything just looks amazing. And I think it's going to have the right amount of humor and nostalgia from what it seems like. So, well, with Ryan I Reynolds see more being it. in it, that's that's kind of got me intrigued. So I'll check out the trailer, but I highly doubt I'm going to be going to the theater to see this movie. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't grow up with Pokemon, chances are you're not yeah. going to be that interested in it. But I think it looks really cool. So I'm, I was very skeptical because I'm thinking what's the story going to be about? Mm. But the way they've done it, it reminds me just a little bit of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Hmm. Like it's animated, but it has a little bit of a darker tone to it. Ooh, and it's like, you know, what it? What if these characters existed in the real world? Yeah. And I think it's going to be really good. There's some good people in this movie, though. I mean, Ken Watanabe... Bill Nighy mm -hmm. is in it. I mean, it's a great cast of people, so I don't know. I'm, I'll probably watch it when it hits Netflix. I'll, I'll definitely give you my uh, <laughs> my knee-jerk reaction when yeah. it comes out. It comes out, uh, what was the date? Let me scroll back up here. Uh, May of 2019, mm -hmm. so th this will definitely be one that I go see along with my fellow Pokemon nerds and we'll probably <laughs> embarrass ourselves in the theater. Yeah, I was just a few okay. years too old to uh, to be caught in the Pokemon train, so. Yeah. It'll be fun though. Yeah. But uh but that's it for the news this week. Let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. Uh, up first in November of 1979, Atari releases the Vector Graphics game Asteroids, which becomes Atari's second best-selling game of all time and displaces Space Invaders as the most popular game in the U.S. I played a lot of Asteroids when I was a kid, especially on the Atari 2600. It's not very often we cover video game history from the 70s. Yeah, not too much. I mean, especially when it comes to from uh, Atari, they were the ones that really put out most of the games in the late 70s because uh, the Atari 2600 
I mean, it's weird to think about, but that console came out the year I was born, 1977. And that's weird to think about because I didn't even get one until 1983. And that console was already six years old at that point. It's a good birth year because Star Wars came out. Yeah, I know. Actually, I was born three days after the release of Star Wars. Oh, wow. Yeah, Star Wars came out May 25th. I was born on May 28th. Some good Jason Robbins trivia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I never played a ton of Asteroids or Space Invaders, but I mean, everybody knows what those games are. I oh, mean, yeah. they were they were staples back then. Moving on to November of 1993, Mega Man 6 is released for the NES, which is kind of crazy to think because the SNES came out in, I think, 91. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they were, were still making NES games. Yeah, they were up until what, like 96? I think the, the last games were made for it. I think so. This is one that I'll I'll eventually get to. I mean, I know you're a huge Mega Man fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, only... I'm saving that as my Christmas present to myself for Mega Man 11. Nice. So I'm going to be playing that over the Christmas holidays. Good choice. Uh, November of 1994, Sega releases the 32X add-on in Europe and the U.S. alongside Doom and Star Wars Arcade. Did you ever own the 32X? I did not. <laughs> um, I had a friend who had one because there was a Sonic game for the 32X, which was a spinoff featuring Knuckles called Knuckles Chaotix uh, that introduced some other side characters that I knew from the comic book. Uh, and since then, is characters like Vector the Crocodile, Espio the Chameleon that have come on into the more modern Sonic games, but never really dabbled in the 32X too much. I mean, I had the Genesis, but I didn't get one of the multiple add-ons that eventually came with that machine. Oh, it was crazy. If you had the Sega, if you had the Sega CD and the 32X, you had to have three different uh, plugins. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. I saw a crazy. picture not too long ago with the complete setup with yeah. all three consoles, and it's it's like the Terminator. Yeah, it was like a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, November 30th of 1995, LucasArts releases The Dig for PC. Um, I I didn't I never played this game, but it is a point-and-click adventure. Uh, let's see. It would use the Scum engine. I love saying Scum engine. It was inspired by an idea originally created for Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories series. Um, did you ever watch Amazing Stories when you were a kid? I did not. Oh, dude. you Actually, I think it might be on Amazon Prime. I know it was on Netflix for a while. It may still be. Watch Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories is great. I'm writing it down now. And the reason- I really like the... I like the cover art yeah. for the dig. It looks like typical Spielberg sci-fi film poster. If you love Steven Spielberg, you will love Amazing Stories. Like it's I'll just, have to check it out. And the reason that it only lasted like one season is because basically, I think it was CBS that ran it. They pretty much just ran out of money because the episodes were so expensive to make. I mean, it was Steven Spielberg. Oh, sure. What do you expect? You know. Yeah. Uh, November 1st of 1997, Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back is released for the original PlayStation. Uh, this is my personal favorite out of the entire Crash Bandicoot series. I know that 
there haven't been too many of these games that have come out recently. I know they did the the remastered. I think they called it the Insanity Collection. Mm-hmm. So it was fun to go back and relive those, relive that series back when it was really good and made by Naughty Dog. Didn't you? They were really this? good platformer games. Didn't you review this a while back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I reviewed it around the same time that the the collection came out. I knew that cover art looked familiar. I do want to go back and review the original and part three, because the, they're good games in their own right, but to me, two is the best, because it adds enough from the first game, and to me, has the best story out of the entire trilogy. So I only ever played the first game. I never got to play any of the sequels. I still haven't beat the first game. First game to me is the hardest. Yeah, I've beat two and three, but not could never go back and beat the first one. Uh, at the time, I think I was around. I think I was about twenty-one years old, and I had uh, a roommate who had a PlayStation, and um, I remember playing the first Crash Bandicoot on it a lot. I wish they would make a, a new Crash Bandicoot in the style of the old ones. Yeah, I, 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 I personally, I would buy it. Sort of like a third-person platformer, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were good games. <clears throat> I mean, they took it took Sonic back to its roots, and yeah. it worked. So why not do it for Crash? Uh, and to close us out for this month in video game history, on November twenty third of nineteen ninety eight, Nintendo releases The Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time for the N sixty four. That would be another game that would have to be on the N sixty four classic. <clears throat> they also call this by another game or another name. The greatest game ever made. Yeah, <laughs> that's debatable <laughs> as far as it, Zelda it games to go. Uh, I, dude, uh, tell me that Link to the Past is not the greatest Zelda game. Look me in the eye and tell me that it's not the greatest Zelda game ever made. <laughs> it's not the greatest Zelda game ever made. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> I got this for you right here. You blow it. <laughs> No spit takes. <laughs> uh, but we do have a review tonight, and Derek, this is your music. I was wondering what song you were going to use. Yeah, uh, I fit, that actually um, reminds me of uh, Super Mario World, that because that music was used a lot, and uh, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a more of a remix that they used for Mario's Missing. Well, even the title theme is pretty much the same as Super Mario World. It sounds slightly different, but the a lot of the music was was recycled. Oh I yeah, feel like. sure. <laughs> So Jason, I hope you brought I hope you brought your notebook. I hope you brought a pencil. I brought my it, pencil. pencil. <laughs> Give me something to write on, man. <laughs> uh that was great. Um but no, this week I will be we we mentioned it on last week's show. Originally I was going to review another game, but I was like, "You know what? I I'm I'm good to talk about a little educational video game." So this week I will be reviewing 
Mario is Missing, a 1993 educational video game developed and published by the software tools for MS-DOS, the NES, and the Super NES. A Macintosh version was released a year later in 1994. The player controls Luigi, who must travel around the world to find and return stolen treasures as part of a quest to find his brother Mario, who has been captured by Bowser. Mario is missing. It's a part of... So back in the late 80s to early 90s, Nintendo featured Mario a lot Yeah. in other games, not just educational games, but I remember I think there was a tennis game for the oh, yeah. NES and Mario was the referee. Mm-hmm. He was on the cover for the golf game. He so they used Mario's out. likeness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They used Mario's likeness a lot during that time. And in theory, it sounded like a great idea. Why not try out some educational games and use Mario as the basis of it? Because I mean, if you're like me and you're, you know, six or seven years old at the time, Sorry, my math is not very good. Um, <laughs> and I see Mario, I will practically beg my parents to get me the game. If it was Mario or Zelda, I had to have it. So I got this game, and I thought, oh, it stars Luigi. Like, I knew nothing of what the game was about. So I just thought, oh, well, you play as Luigi. That's pretty cool. And as I start, like this kind of reminds me a lot of Super Mario World. I mean, they use the exact same graphics, which is not a bad thing because that game still holds up very well graphics-wise. But basically what you do, uh, as far as the gameplay goes, it's different in the computer version than the console version. I never personally played the computer version, but for MS-DOS, it's basically a point-and-click. Mm -hmm. The objective's still the same. So basically Bowser has transported his castle to Earth from the Mushroom Kingdom and plants it in Antarctica. And his plan is he's going to uh, steal a lot of treasures from various locations around the world. And I kid you not, he plans to sell the treasures to pay for enough hair dryers so he can melt the ice of Antarctica. <laughs> okay. Yes, that is, that's <clears throat> the basis for Bowser kidnapping Mario. Well, doesn't he breathe fire? I mean... Does he yeah. need the hair dryers? Really? I mean, he could just use his breath to light things on fire. Yeah, and just send out the Koopalings to basically form like a circle and just spread out from the castle. Yeah. That would have been a lot cooler. But <laughs> alas, they did not do that. So Bowser plans to steal the Earth's treasures with the use of the passcode operated remote transportation and larceny system. The acronym is PORTALS. Okay. Now, notice the first word I mentioned was passcode, because guess what this game has? Oh, come on. A password system. <sighs> really? We had we had the technology <laughs> to not right? have to worry about passwords. So, every time you... Basically, you go through different tiers in Bowser's Castle, and from there you go to... I think it was six or seven subworlds. Like you basically walk through a door and you're transported to a different location throughout the world. And you have to find three different. So say for example, you're in Rome. One of the artifacts you have to find might be a spear from the Colosseum. 
So what you do is you navigate the map and you find little little Koopa Troopas that are walking around and you stomp on them to kill them and three random ones will be holding artifacts and then you have to go return them to their specific locations. And as a little side thing that you have to do, when you go to these different areas, the um, I think they're called pokies. They're the giant cactus things from Super Mario World. They're mm-hmm. blocking your way to get back into the castle. So what you have to do is you go to your map and you guide Yoshi to where you are. But that's used in a way that like the the map looks like the overworld from Super Mario World, but everything's shaped like the planet Earth as far as different continents go. So you have to guide Yoshi to where you actually are. And then if you get the if you get the location correct, then Yoshi joins you. And he's the only way that you can leave the area because Pokey gets scared and basically runs away. Hmm. So it's basically used as a tool to learn about the world, its specific location. So say, you know, like some of the missing artifacts are like, you know, the Sphinx from Egypt or Big Ben or the Mona Lisa, you know, iconic things from around the world. And you go to what were some of the locations you go to Paris uh, Tokyo, Rome, uh, Cairo, New York, San Francisco, I think is one. So you, you go to a lot of specific locations and iconic locations around the world. So it, it serves its purpose. You know, you, you learn about culture, you learn about artifacts, locations, things so like that. It's sort of a ripoff of, uh, like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Exactly. Hmm. Now, I will say, when I was a kid, I did have fun playing this game. Because, one, it was Mario, and I was like, oh, I'm actually learning stuff that's kind of cool. Which, these aren't the only games that implemented a little bit of that. Though, it's they weren't quite as on the nose. Because, you know, one of the earlier games I mentioned, uh, or that I reviewed, Illusion of Gaia, uses real locations like the Incan Ruins, the Pyramids, and places like that. So... It's a fictitious setting, but they use real locations. So I I always thought that was kind of cool. So what's it like playing this type of educational game like as an adult? Uh, it drags at a snail's pace. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's a long, slow game. Hmm. So I mean, it's as an adult, it's not that great, but it's one of those if you if you grew up with it you'll probably appreciate it a little more, but like if you were to play it, you would probably hate it. Yeah. I, I was never into any type of like educational uh, video games or anything. I don't remember there being very many educational games for the, the regular Nintendo. No, that was more of a Super Nintendo thing because... Yeah, it was more of a 90s thing. They didn't give a shit about our education in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, around 93, they're like, oh, we should probably use these these Visia games to to learn these kids. <clears throat> well, I kind of have a feeling that um, it was kind of an answer to uh, maybe the government kind of cracking down on video games. I mean, as much as they try to crack down on video games now, I mean, it was even worse, like back in the late 80s, early 90s. Video games are gonna rot your brain, you know. Like they went at they went after video games like Narc and all that kind of stuff, 
Mortal Kombat. So I imagine that, you know, it, the 90s seems like was the heyday of like educational video games. Well, I even remember, you know, in the late 90s and even into the 2000s, one of the big debates were do video games cause violent behavior in kids? Because, you know, when the Columbine shooting happened, that was really what kind of pushed that over the top. Because I, I remember in college, um, I had my freshman year, I had a public speaking class and our final speech of the, the semester was we had to do a persuasive speech. And mine was do video games, you know, cause violent behavior for kids. And I mean, my my answer was no. You know, as my thing is, if your kid is starting to display that kind of behavior as the parent, you should step in and do something about it. Whether yes. that's, you know, taking the games away, you're just having a, a come to Jesus meeting. I don't know. And what what's funny, and I'll tell this quick side story that's actually pretty funny. So my my instructor had brought her like five or six year old kid to the class and brought his um, his GameCube, and she asked, does anybody know how to hook this thing up? So everybody just kind of slowly turns and looks at me <laughs> as I'm sitting in the back corner just minding my own business. So, I mean, I said, sure. So, you know, went in the next room and hooked up the, the GameCube and everything, and as I'm doing that, uh, my instructor's like, so what's your speech going to be about? Because mine was supposed to be the first one. I said, oh, I'm debating on whether or not uh, video games cause kids to be violent. She's like, oh, my God. Like, she thought that I was <laughs> that I thought that about games. I'm like, no, no, I play these all the time. Trust me. I don't think that at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I might be a little socially awkward, but I didn't ever want to kill anybody. I have my thoughts on that whole do video games cause violent behavior, but that will go into a two-hour discussion, so we'll save that for another time. Yeah, that would be a fun that would be a fun show to have. I feel like we probably wouldn't debate on it. It would just be more of a discussion. Yeah, uh, of course. But, I mean, and we could get some other people in on it too. Like I, that's a discussion I would love to have like Scott Johnson back on for to talk that'd about. That'd be great. And, um, you know, I, my, you know, I always say like, I've been playing video games my entire life. I've never hurt a living being in my entire life because I played a video game, you know? Yeah. No, we're we're all we're all in charge of our own behavior. Exactly. Well. And people that do display that type, you know, like you said, if a a kid starts displaying, you know, weird behavior, I mean, that's not because of video games. That is something wrong chemically with them that needs to be fixed by, you know, a doctor, a therapist, whatnot. It's called being a parent. <laughs> you know. Yep. If you're going to have kids, you got to, you know, <laughs> pay attention to your kids. Yeah. <clears throat> That's no, all exactly. I got to say but, about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. But no, back to back to Mario is missing. You know, the, we were talking about the educational games and a lot of them did come out in the early 90s because I actually pulled up a list of educational games featuring Mario they were released from a span of 1988 to 1996. There's Mario is Missing, Mario's Time Machine, which I never played. I, I remember seeing it, but never played it. It's basically Bowser uses a time machine to steal artifacts from various points in history, and you have to follow him. 
There's uh, Mario's Early Years, which teaches kids how to spell, count, and there's one called Preschool Fun, which that one, I have no idea what that's about. Hmm. I don't remember those at all. I don't remember the Early Years series. I do, I do know about Time Machine. And then there was also um, the, there was a PC game called Mario Teaches Typing, <laughs> which I kind of have a vague memory of. We might have had that at school because it sounds very familiar. I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, I understand why Nintendo would do that. I mean, Mario obviously had huge appeal back in the 90s, so why not use it to you know, try and make <clears throat> educational games? And I, most of them were not very well received. And I mean, Mario is Missing wasn't that well received either. Uh, yeah, it said um, the sales of the NES and SNES versions exceeded $7 million in profit for Software Toolworks, <clears throat> which really, that's not a lot when it comes to Mario games. No. No, it's not. And Electronic Gaming Monthly reviewed the SNES version. Three of the magazine's four reviewers commented that the game is too slow and easy for experienced gamers, but that it offers great appeal to its young target audience while providing good educational value. Uh, reviewers for GameFan, this is funny, praised the game's SNES version and compared it to Carmen Sandiego. Oh. <laughs> uh, Nintendo Power noted the game's excellent graphics, which are exactly the same as Super Mario World. Um, some other reviews, um, I mean, EGM gave it a 5.75 out of 10. Uh, All Game gave it 3 out of 5 stars. Uh, Boston Herald gave the PC version 4 out of 5 stars. And then uh, SNES Force gave it a 42 out of 100. Wow. So... Very, mostly on the negative side of things. Which... Yeah, but when it really boils down to it, I mean, it's an educational game for younger players. I mean, how can you really, as an adult video game reviewer, uh, for, you know, like a publication like that, I mean, you got to take that kind of stuff into into a factor, you know? Like, I know you're reviewing it tonight, and you're reviewing it as an adult male <laughs> but you also played it as a little kid too. So yeah. that's what I was interested in is what you thought then versus now. I mean, it's definitely different. I, I agree in the sense that the game is very easy because all the characters move very slowly as far as the enemies go. And after you defeat, after you complete a section of Bowser's castle, one of the Koopalings comes out, and literally all you have to do is jump on his on their head four or five times, huh. and it's very easy. Like they don't attack you at all. Yeah. So it's as an adult, it was a little grating because it's just so slow and so long. But as a kid, you know, I looked at it differently. You know, it was still fun to me because it was Mario. Yeah. You know, I, I knew of the educational aspect, but I didn't really think of it as that because, to me, I was just playing a Mario game. Yeah. I mean, I played but, a few. Uh, I remember some of the educational games we had uh, for, you know, the Apple II when I was a kid in school. Of course, we had uh, Oregon Trail and um, Hangman. Don't and die up this games. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
there was some other games in there too. I, I can't quite remember. It's been so long, but I remember for the Commodore 64, my grandfather used to program a lot of games and put them on disc for me, or uh, actually not disc, uh, the actual uh, like tape, like cassette tape, and he mm-hmm. would make games for me, and uh, he would get games from other people. And um, I used to have like this one that was like Snoopy, uh, Snoopy's Red Baron math something. And like you were flying after the Red Baron and you had to get math problems correctly or the the Red Baron would shoot at Snoopy's doghouse and it would like, you know, get bullet holes in it and all that kind of stuff. So that was fun. But I, I literally haven't played that in like 35 years, so I don't know what it would be like today. Yeah, I mean, Oregon Trail was a classic. Yeah. Uh, another another couple of games we had, we had Number Munchers. You control like this little green alien-looking thing. I think I remember that. And then, what was that other one? It was a spelling one. And it had a bookworm as like their mascot. I think it was called Bookworm. It might I be. I'm going to look that up real quick. That Bookworm... Like... That sounded completely familiar. Bookworm educational game. No, it wasn't that one. Uh, What was it? This might be it. (laughs) Word Rescue. Word Rescue. That was it. That doesn't sound familiar, but I do remember something to do with uh, a bookworm and learning to spell. But Mm -hmm. like I said, that's been what? Ooh, that's been like 35 years ago, so that's, <laughs> the memories are starting to fade. Yeah. But as far as my overview of Mario is missing, if you grew up with the game, you'll probably remember it for its good moments, it being a Mario game, but still offering that little bit of educational value. Do you think a kid today would get enjoyment out of it, or would it be too slow? I think it would probably be too slow. Probably. This game is very much in the 90s. I think with kids today, with having, you know, smartphones and almost, like immediate access to a computer, I think if they were to play something like this, it would they would get bored. Yeah. So, all in all, I'd probably give this game, I'd say probably a six. Yeah. Six, six and a half. You know, it's slightly above average. If it were, if I had not, did not have the sentimental value, it would probably be like a four. Yeah. Hmm. So it's I'm, one of those, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a must have for your collection. If you grew up with it, I'd say sure, get it. But it's not one that you have to, you know, f- fight people over in the retro gaming store. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I've never played any of these like Mario educational games and I see them all the time at, at retro shops. Like they're just they're a dime a dozen. So I would think that if you're like a hardcore collector and you were trying to get a complete collection, this would probably probably be one of the last games you'd probably pick up because you can probably get a copy for like maybe five bucks if that yeah that was what i got mario is missing for it was like five bucks yeah because i'm sure there were a lot of copies of these made 
Yeah, I found a lot of copies of Mario's Time Machine as well, and I I thought about picking it up and trying it out, but I probably would not enjoy it. Mm. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, cool. But yeah. Um, that's that's what I have to say about Mario's Missing. Uh, coming up next week, we do have a guest coming on next week. A new guest that we've never had before, but I'm going to leave that for next week. I'm not going to reveal it. Dun, dun, dun. But um, we'll go ahead and do listener email. Uh, so, Derek, would you like to read the emails tonight? I would love to read the emails. Let me play you a little bit of music here. There you go. Our first email comes to us from Tyler Watson. I say this every time, and I'm going to keep saying it. I love Joey Image episodes. I agree with that 100%. I have this game. He's referring to WrestleMania, and I'm not really a fan. For me, licensed wrestling games didn't start getting good until the PS1 and 64 era. WrestleMania, the arcade game, kicked it off. Then you move into stuff like WCW, NWO Revenge, and WWF Warzone and Attitude. I still need to pick up Fire Pro Wrestling World on the PS4 since it has a number of guys from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I've heard a lot I've, of good stuff about that Fire Pro Wrestling. I have too. Uh, I agree with him. I mean, I never really got into the wrestling games until the N64 with WCW Revenge. Um, uh, what was that other one for um, with WCW? I think it was World Tour. And then with WWF, there was No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000. So yeah. those... Those were fun games, and I, I do plan on sometime soon. I might do it in March or April because that's when WrestleMania actually is. I'm going to review oh, yeah. WrestleMania 2000. I should have saved WrestleMania for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. And our next message comes to us from our good friend, Mr. Brandon Rutledge. Rest in peace, Stan Lee, Excelsior. Thank you for the shout-out on this episode. I did not know much about the Game & Watch until they added Mr. Game & Watch to Smash Brothers. Metroid Month sounds like fun. Since you need one more game for this, I would suggest Metroid Prime since it came out the same year as Metroid Fusion. Any other titles came out later. And per his suggestion, that's exactly what we're going to do. He says to Jason, I agree with your review of WrestleMania for the most part. I busted my copy out this past weekend, and it's not good at all. I'm so Took sorry. a bit to get going, <laughs> but fixed it thanks to Q-tips and alcohol. I figured out tournament mode pretty easy, or pretty early. All it really does is prevent having to add your name before each match. Granted, you won the previous match. The controls were so confusing and frustrating to figure out, I had to Google the instruction manual just so I could find out how to pin my opponent. Uh, me too. Jason, <laughs> you probably missed tournament mode because you were blinded with rage during your playthrough. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've told Derek this before, but I could talk wrestling all day. Before Joey Image brought it up, I thought about Sid Vicious breaking his leg. Such an ugly sight. It, it makes me cringe just thinking about it. No. I did not know about the ECW incident with the Sandman and Rob Price. Then again, Sandman was never really known for being a great wrestler. Just a great entrance. I look forward to the next episode. And Derek, love you, but you need to work on your Macho Man impression. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll make that my objective over the, over the Christmas break. Cup of coffee in the big time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yours is much better than mine. I, I can only do like three impressions and one's the weird singer from the B-52s. I need to capture that off of YouTube. The cup of coffee, the big dumb, yeah. And just, ha just have it at the ready. Yes. It's my favorite Macho Man clip of all time. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I just watch the Macho Man Randy Savage uh, 
cup of coffee in the big time rant. Uh, he was so good. Half the stuff he talked about made no sense, but that's what made it great. But just the way he talked just made it so entertaining. <laughs> Whoa, four out, man. <laughs> Love it. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get out of here tonight? No, just, um, again, follow uh, my upcoming short <coughs> film, The Parker Syndrome, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I've been doing casting announcements over the last couple of weeks. I've got two more roles that I've got to cast, and then we're shooting uh, in mid-December. So it's uh, it's going to be here before you know it. Fantastic. I'll be uh, heading out of town December 8th and 9th with our good friend, Mr. Steve Wise, who was the director of the short film Survey that Derek and I both worked on. And uh, I'll be going down to Tampa, Florida with him to the, uh, I forgot which film festival it is. It might just be the Tampa Film Festival or something like that. But um, You might be right. We're going to be uh, showing Survey down there for December 8th and 9th. So if you're in the Tampa area, get a hold of me on Twitter or Facebook and uh, let's meet up have some drinks or dinner or whatever. Just come out and say hi. Come watch the movie. So if you're in the South Florida area, come out and see us show our movie. And it's great. I'm not, I'm not biased at all. It is a good it's movie. A, it's, it is a good movie. And in a theater, it sounds great. Oh, yeah. It looks great, too. I don't want to brag. Yeah, that's... Uh, hmm? I don't want to brag, but it's a really good movie. <laughs> Not just because no, I'm no, it. <laughs> it it really is. I mean, we we should be proud of it. You know, it's. I mean, I had a much smaller part to play in it than you did, but I wish we could know, have been there on the same day. I know. I want the. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted us to take a photo to put on our Nerd Cave Retro social media with you and your full yeah. Vilker outfit, me with my <laughs> long hair, Hawaiian shirt, and yes. freaking boom pole. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, we missed it. Missed opportunity. Well, maybe there will be another one. Who knows? Well, maybe we'll get to make a full length if uh, if it keeps winning awards. Oh, that'd be great. It just won like a really big award at some Irish film festival last week, which is great. I've told Steve that if Servi ever becomes a feature, I have to be his coffee guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even if he doesn't drink coffee. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you'll be the uh, the sound guy on the big one too, or at least a, <laughs> or at least a, an apprentice to someone or something. I don't yeah. know. That'd be great. I'll be getting the sound guy coffee. Hell yeah. <laughs> be getting me my coffee. <laughs> uh, but on that note, let me go ahead and play our music here. If it'll play. There you go. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And if you don't have a couple of bucks to throw us every month, then go leave us a review wherever you get the show from. That helps us out a lot too. So Derek, please tell everyone what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Oh, yeah!
monkey! <laughs> <laughs> 